0: all you hardheads out there good morning good afternoon good evening good whatever it is wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours welcome to the hard-headed sports podcast episode eight hosted by me nick ryan it's great to have you here i've got a really nice show for you all today before we get into any of it i just want to say that i am sorry for missing a couple of shows over the past few days on saturday i just didn't feel like there was enough to create a compelling show. Really all that there was to talk about news wise was the predictions for the NFL games on Sunday. And I just didn't feel like that was enough to create a quality show. But on Monday, which was actually this morning, uh, this show you guys will be listening to and watching the highlights of tomorrow at some point, that would be Tuesday, so you'll probably be seeing this or listening to this somewhere in the afternoon on Tuesday, but we're actually recording this show Monday evening because I got up this morning to record the episode of the podcast this morning and found out that I was having some technical difficulties with the camera. Once again, same technical difficulties that I had previously on Friday in some points uh, during the video we were Experiencing some frame drops, some lag, and I didn't know what was causing it. So uh, I was having similar issues again this morning and <laughs> about halfway through the afternoon. Uh, and I absolutely hate it, hate it when this happens because you never truly know if the problem has gone away. You don't really know what caused the problem to begin with. But the problems just ended up vanishing. And uh, now I decided, hey, I'm still awake. I'm writing notes for what would have been a gigantic show on Wednesday. So I might as well just chop what I have into, record an episode tonight, however long it may be, so I could post it tomorrow and give you guys some content uh, to listen to and watch to. So I I hurried and set everything up so the lighting may be a little bit different. The camera may be a little little bit off, but that's okay. I'm just excited to have everything working again. Jinx, knock on wood, somebody... Um, that everything continues to work throughout the rest of the episode. So we're going to, I'm going to try and speed through this as much as possible, just to, in, in the hope that the problems don't return, but ho- also hopefully it's, I hope it's going to be a long uh, show that has a lot of really great clips in it. So with that out of the way, I want to get on to probably the most dominating topic in the news world at the moment, and that is uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Of course, losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game, a score of thirty-one to twenty-six, and I felt I feel really like the story for the Packers this season has really been all about the the cycle analyzing of quarterback Aaron Rodgers. How is he feeling? I mean, how, how is he performing so well? Does he Is he playing with a chip on his shoulder, or is the chemistry between him and Matt LaFleur really that great? Um, and we're, we're, here we are talking about <laughs> Aaron Rodgers' psyche once again, uh, this time in a whole different context. And this, this wouldn't really even be a story if the game didn't end the way that it did. Um, and, of course, the game ending in a fashion in which a lot of Packers fans are questioning... Not only what Aaron is thinking, they're probably questioning what the team is thinking overall. They're questioning whether or not Matt Lafleur is the right person for the job. Although I think that's really silly, considering that he's twenty-six and six, or um, I guess that would be tw- would that be twenty-eight? He's he's in the high twenties and and single digits still when it comes to wins and losses. Uh, in his tenure with the Packers but regardless there was a very controversial call I'm sure every single news outlet or every major broadcasting network has talked about it at some point today but the decision to go for it on fourth and goal or excuse me to kick a field goal on fourth and goal instead of going for it and I'm not really going to tell you anything different from what other people have already said today there's no like different angle that somebody uh, hasn't already hasn't taken that's that's Unique and interesting, and not complete uh, asinine thought. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Super Bowl between the Seattle Seahawks and the, the the New England Patriots. What what number Super Bowl that was? I I don't remember. But it reminded me a lot of that game, and how like this game, the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers both had one of the best running backs, or excuse me, one of the best players at their position during the time and failed to utilize them. Reminded me a lot of when the Seattle Seahawks decided to throw the ball instead of running the ball on what it was second and one, third and one. Uh, they decided not to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch, and obviously they threw a interception to Malcolm Butler to close the game out, and the Patriots won the Super Bowl. And even though the stakes were a little bit different in this game, the NFC Championship game, uh, the Green Bay Packers had the probably a top three quarterback in the entire history of the NFL, maybe top five. Um, certainly one of the best quarterbacks of the modern era, had him on the roster and decided not to give him a chance to go and win the football game. Uh, Very similar, and I saw a comment on one of the posts saying that even though they're one of the best uh, on the position doesn't mean that uh, if things had gone the other way that it would have been guaranteed success. But that's not the point. Even the opportunity to go and win the game is all that these players asked for. And Aaron Rodgers once again, was not given the opportunity to do what he does best. And that is lead the football team to victory. And, uh, of course, the media hopping on it like a pack of hyenas. It all goes back to the fateful night when the Packers drafted Jordan Love 24th overall uh, in the first round. Instead of giving Aaron Rodgers another weapon, it's it's not utilizing your quarterback. It's not enabling your quarterback. And you, if you were Aaron Rodgers, like I think a lot of if a lot if a lot of people were Aaron Rodgers, they would be very upset with what happened, and they would be thinking. Is this really the best situation for me if I'm constantly getting undermined by my head coach? And uh, that's a very valid point. Now, I was I was I, I do want to point out that I was absolutely wrong. I made a video uh, last week saying the Packers were going to win the Super Bowl. I was very confident in that take. Uh, obviously, that's <laughs> that's not going to be the case now. Um, the I do want to point out and, and just quickly say that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers played a really good game, and I unfortunately the the game that you know the Buccaneers defense played, uh, the game that uh, Leonard Fournette had, because Tom Brady didn't necessarily have the best game either, um, but. The game that the Buccaneers had, the credit that Todd Bull's defense should be getting, that's all going to be overshadowed by the fact that Aaron Rodgers is once again falling short of going to a Super Bowl, and this time because of a very controversial play call by Matt LaFleur, again, electing to kick the field goal instead of placing the ball in the MVP's hands and uh, allowing him a chance to win the game. Now, obviously, um, it wasn't just that call uh, that decided the game uh, in favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady threw three interceptions, and two of them were tipped balls. If I remember correctly, one of them was just uh, uh, a heave throw that Tom Brady probably wished that he got back. But it's not very often that uh, that a team picks off Tom Brady three times and uh, still loses, especially in the playoffs. Uh, and I actually ended up looking this up. Uh, the games that Brady has thrown two or more interceptions, he's thrown 51 total. Uh, uh, excuse me. He's had 51 games total in his career where he's thrown two, more, two interceptions or more he's won 26 of those 51 games and in the playoffs he's been even better. He's 7 for 11 in terms of victories when it comes to games that he's thrown two or more interceptions in the playoffs. And obviously it's a little bit different but still you would think if if you were the Green Bay Packers and you were told, "Hey, Tom Brady is going to Tom Brady's going to throw three interceptions uh, by the time that the fourth quarter is done." I think you'd be pretty happy with that and you would think that you would win the game. But once again, you know, the Green Bay Packers failed to capitalize on those chances. And as much as people want to point and say, Hey, that fourth down call to not go for it is what lost in the game. And, and I do partially agree with that. Um, it's also the fact that, Hey, Kevin King had probably one of the worst games for a defensive back that I've ever seen letting Scotty Miller get behind him to close out the second quarter. That was probably the deciding moment of the game uh, more so than it was the fourth down call at the end of the game. And of course, Uh, The pass interference call, that's really, really rough. I personally don't think it was pass interference. I think that ball was uncatchable. Uh, The refs really weren't calling that all night. They also missed holding on the play. Sometimes that's going to happen. Sometimes uh, decisions by referees are going to cause teams football games. I definitely know that Saints fans can sympathize with that. Uh, But... After all of that, you know, the media is going to cycle analyze Aaron because of what happened, and they're going to talk about where he's going to go, if he wants to go anywhere, and, you know, of course, Aaron Rodgers is the, the, the master of giving mystery press conferences. He's the best at saying everything while saying nothing at all. And, uh, he doesn't, he, he said his future is a mystery. He, there is a lot of future, you know, talented guys on the team in which their futures are going to be decided, including himself. I believe he said in the press conference after the NFC championship game. Look, the reality is, is that Aaron Rodgers probably isn't going anywhere. This is going to sting. This is going to hurt. This is going to really play and twist a lot of things in Aaron Rodgers' mind, uh, especially about his relationship with Matt LaFleur. But the reality is, is that when it comes down to winning games, there probably isn't a better spot for... Aaron Rodgers then in Green Bay, a place where you already know the offense. Uh, the division is going to be extremely weak over the and continue to be extremely weak. Chicago is now going to be looking for a new quarterback. They're in the middle of a rebuild. Their defense is still going to be good, but they're not going to be able to win games with their offense. Minnesota is inconsistent, um, and Detroit is starting over as well. Matthew Stafford rumored to be on the trade block. I did have a really interesting Matthew Stafford video that you all should check out if you haven't done so already. Uh, and the Lions are going to be in a rebuild as well. Uh, going to another division, obviously there are weaker divisions, or stronger divisions. But in terms of teams that Aaron Rodgers would probably like to play for, strong divisions, not a lot of cap space, and having a lot of tough decisions to make with their roster. Uh realistically speaking and a lot of people like to fantasize about where this dude's probably going the reality is is that he's probably going to stay in green bay he's probably going to finish out his career he's got two two more years on the contract uh he's signed until 2023 i wouldn't be surprised if he's a little bit more vocal if you can be any more vocal about what the team does this offseason um But it really sucks for Aaron Rodgers because he played probably one of his best seasons of football ever, ever. And you could tell that Aaron Rodgers was definitely inspired by the drafting of Jordan Love saying, Hey, look, you think you're going to replace me so soon? I'm going to come out and have one of the, the best years that a quarterback will ever have at my position. And, you know, he went out and he did it, and it's just unfortunate for him that now he's going to have to go through another offseason of disappointment with the media down his back saying, well, what's he going to do? Does he want out of Green Bay? Should he want out of Green Bay? What are the Packers going to be able to do on the offseason? I feel horrible for Aaron Rodgers, not only in the fact that uh, he he fell short, but also in the fact that he's going to have to go through pretty much a duplicate offseason that he had last year in terms of the media just being a bunch of vultures, just trying to figure out where he's at mentally when he probably just wants to go home to his house, have a glass of whiskey like I have right here, and just try and sit down and compartmentalize everything and figure everything out. But uh, 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 Green Bay Packers lost the game as a team, but obviously it's going to be... um, those two plays at the end of the game that people really remember. And it's unfortunate because the reality is, is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played a much better game. Uh, it was a full team effort that won in the game. It's definitely the defense that stepped up. Tom Brady didn't have the best game, but he had enough to win. And again, if you're the Green Bay Packers going into the game and you, and you have the foresight of knowing that Tom Brady is going to throw three interceptions in that game, you'd think you'd win that game, but alas, the Packers wasted all of those opportunities and, um, Obviously, if the secondary for the Packers played a little bit better, they might not have been in that position. But then it goes into a bunch of what ifs. Well, and if this happened, well, this might have happened. Point is, is that uh, sucks for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is more than likely going to stay in Green Bay. There's no other reason for him to leave other than out of spite with his relationship with Matt Lafleur. And it, I don't, I don't think that what, from what I've seen character-wise from Aaron Rodgers, he's a person to just kind of force his way out of out of spite. He's much more of a quiet, reserved person. Um so yeah, unfortunate for the Packers. Really unfortunate. On the on the other side of things, the AFC. Man, I was really really wrong <laughs> this this past week when it came to uh, uh, talking about the NFL. I said that the Chiefs were in trouble and once again i was really wrong and the chiefs fans let me know it knew it in the comments section uh, they said wow well, really you think that they're in trouble you're a pack, or you're your chiefs hater you know we're tired of the of the media and analysts and experts you know getting on the chiefs saying that they're in trouble and they were right uh, i obviously i think the chiefs do get a bad rep sometimes they kind of get downplayed in the media saying oh they're they're beatable they're mortal but they did not look mortal um on Sunday against the Chiefs, or excuse me, against the Bills. Uh, I was very wrong about Patrick Mahomes. I was very wrong in terms of what I thought he was going to bring to the football field, uh, injured the way that he was. He played almost a near-perfect game, and maybe it's just time that we say that the the the, the Kansas City Chiefs are a second-quarter football team. Because for a lot of the reasons that I thought the Chiefs were in trouble, it actually transpired during the game um, apart from you know some turnovers here or there and and, and some slow play in the third quarter, uh, the Bills got the first quarter slow start that uh, from the Chiefs that they needed. Um, they 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 caught the Chiefs a little off guard to begin the game, and they ended up only getting uh, ten points out of it. Uh, or excuse me, nine points. They missed uh, they missed an extra point. They had to settle for a field goal. And then there was just this flurry of offense for uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs that was really just unstoppable. And after watching that display, a uh, couple of takeaways from the game, we're not going to talk too much about it this game because there wasn't really too much to talk about. But the reality is is that uh, even though I thought that the Bills were going to win this game, I was worried that the Chiefs were going to come out, or gonna come out slow and that Patrick Mahomes was going to be hindered by his injury, uh, the nerve in the back of his neck. Uh, the Bills basically showed me that they are a lesser-talented Kansas City Chiefs that rely too much on the passing game. And the differences between the Bills and the Chiefs is that when the Chiefs need to run the ball, they can run the ball, but when the Bills need to run the ball, whether it's to establish play action, whether it's to get some short-down yardage, they just prove that uh, Devin, Devin, uh, yeah, Devin Singletary just cannot run the football and the Bills are relying way too much currently on Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Now, Stephon Diggs did not have that great of a game. Obviously, everybody saw the viral video of him staying out and watching the Kansas City Chiefs ceremony. Uh, but uh, Stephon Diggs did not have that great of a game. The, the Kansas City defense, again, when it matters the most, is playing some exceptional defense when they need to. They're, they're very sneakily good uh, at defense, as I've come to learn and come to see. So credit to the defense, and really, um, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense once again look absolutely unstoppable, and it's going to be one hell of a matchup when it comes to uh, an offense that is now completely clicking, as opposed to a defense uh, led by Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay that are also starting to click. it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I, you know, I, I noticed kind of I felt very similarly about the national championship game when it happened, especially when the game plan came to defending uh, wide receivers of Kansas City. Just like Ohio State was so terrified of Devonta Smith going over the top uh, and, and beating them over the top, they allowed Devonta Smith to get a whole bunch of chunk yardage, and I felt like that game plan was very similar to what happened in this AFC Championship game where the Bills were absolutely terrified, as they should be, of Tyreek Hill going over the top, scoring a bunch of, of touchdowns very quickly, and then this game turning into a, an air raid war in terms of which quarterback could you know, duel each other in the passing game. And meanwhile, they just opened up everything for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey over the middle. And before, you know, they started trying trying to cover people, it was way too late. The deficit was way too much, especially with an offense that, as I said, maybe we should start just realizing that, hey, the first quarter is going to be slow for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to blow past you the more that they get into the game and the more that they can tweak and adjust the game plan. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. Uh, it's very clear that the Bills, I think the Bills ended up exactly where they needed to. They, they made it extremely far, farthest, to, uh, or it equals the furthest they've made it um, in, in a long time. And uh, they now they know where they stand. They need to get some kind of running attack in order to be able to, to sustain a passing offense. They need to add a couple of pieces on defense as well. But, yeah, uh, I'm not counting out the Chiefs again. You know, I, I think that they proved that even when, you know, they, they've had some more slow starts and, you know, their quarterback is not playing at 100%, even if they're not playing at 100%, they're still playing at 100%, which means that the normal Chiefs is really just playing at 115%, and they're just going to blow past everybody. Uh, extremely impressive, and I'm not going to count out the Chiefs again. I was extremely wrong in thinking that they would lose the fa- this past weekend to the Bills. And so uh, there you have it. I was absolutely wrong, and I was extremely impressed with what I saw from Kansas City. And now I think they probably are uh, what a lot of people probably thought they were the entire time, which is the favorites to repeat as Super Bowl champions. (laughs) So um, the next thing I wanted to touch on just very, very quickly was the uh, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor fight. Uh, this was a really, really fun fight to watch. Um, I haven't always been really invested in the UFC, but I found this fight to be utterly entertaining, and it was really what a lot of main events fights should strive to be. Now, it, you know, what classifies as a good fight? Does it is it one that should go the distance? Not always. I feel like when people describe a good fight, obviously it's very subjective, what I'm looking for mainly is entertainment value. It doesn't have to go the distance. It doesn't have to make it out of the first round. But as long as it's an entertaining fight, you've got me sold. And that's what we got. It was an entertaining fight that a lot of people, I think, expected McGregor to win handedly and were delightfully surprised to find him uh, flat on his butt. Um, seven years ago or so, Conor McGregor was the first person to knock out Dustin Poirier And now here we are, Dustin Poirier, the first person to knock out Conor McGregor. I am absolutely so excited to get a Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor 3. Whether or not Khabib comes back, it could potentially be for the, the lightweight title, which would even amplify the stakes. But again, this was a very fun fight to watch. I really enjoyed how Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor really kind of had a... I don't know, like a friendly. It was a competition, obviously, but it felt really so much like like a game of horse and basketball. Like anything that you can do, I can do better, or at least try to. Um, A lot of the first round was spent in the clinch, and you know the two were trading elbow strikes. And obviously, Conor McGregor's elbow strikes looked a lot more vicious than Dustin Poirier's did, but still, um, you know they were up against the cage and they were throwing shoulder uh, shoulder uh thrust at each other and you know kind of talking in each other's ear um <laughs> Dustin Poirier got got caught with one of the shoulder strikes really really badly at one point and he's like yeah you got me and then um uh, further uh, further along in the first round he was able to land a a, a counter left jab I believe, on McGregor, and he's like, ha ha, I gotcha, and like, and that that banter, that back and forth between two fighters, um, especially one that talks, talks talks-ish as much as Conor McGregor does outside the ring and inside the ring, you know, the entire persona about Notorious, uh, Conor McGregor, you know, it was really fun to see a fighter like Dustin Poirier kind of echo that, that fun attitude within the octagon, uh, back at, conor mcgregor and that made the fighting the fight really entertaining to me and when it came down to the actual fight itself dustin poirier really just had the better strategy and that was to outlast the first round and i was i was sitting on my couch watching the fight and notice instantly this guy's just trying to get out of the first round he's trying to withstand the initial bombardment from conor mcgregor wear him down and end the fight in the second or third round and that's exactly what happened um Gohana McGregor, a lot of his fights end within the first round, within the first, you know sixty, sixty to one hundred and twenty seconds. And if you survive that that initial adrenaline rush from McGregor, you know, where he seems so calm, he seems so poised, and he's just picking all of his, his shots very, very, very um, well and and decisively, if you avoid that, you have a very good chance to win, and that's exactly what Porre did. Again, most of the first round was spent in the clinch against the cage, um, two of them trading a couple of combos, trading some shoulder strikes. Um Poirier caught McGregor with a takedown very early on that seemed kind of to rattle McGregor just a little bit. Wasn't exactly expecting that. So um, when it came down to the second uh, the second round where some leg kicks, uh, some calf kicks started to come in and uh, Dustin Poirier was landing quite a bit of those and McGregor was beginning to have trouble standing, uh, that's when the fight really went in the favor of Poirier. And that final salvo to knock McGregor out was absolutely well done. I mean, Poirier just really... Again, the game plan was to get him out of the first round, let him get his confidence, kind of withstand the opening barrage from McGregor, and then attack him. Uh, since McGregor has been out of the octagon for a while now, and that's exactly what happened, and that's the result. And Dustin Poirier, really you know, a, a great person as well. Excuse me, uh, with all the the charity work that he does, so happy for him, happy that you know he got that exposure. And it was really a fantastic fight, and I am absolutely looking forward to uh, Poirier versus McGregor three. Um, the the entire the entire card really was was interesting. Uh, Mike Chandler looks like he's going to be some hot stuff. He took out Dan Hooker like it was absolutely nothing, um, and he cut a really great promo. Uh, kind of reminded me like I was thinking while I was watching the promo like, damn, this guy could be a really good professional wrestler. He could do, be the next Brock Lesnar when it comes to you know bouncing back and forth between MMA and WWE he he cut a great promo he talks very well uh very confident confident mixed martial artist uh and and very very fun to see um uh Jojo Cardwell was had a really nice fight as well um and I'm forgetting uh, some of the others on the card. But regardless, it was a great USC event, a great fight by Poirier and McGregor, and I'm looking forward to seeing more. It was a great card. Had a lot of fun. To finish out the show today, I, I want to talk about something that might have gone under the the waves a little bit when it came to the national media coming out uh, of of uh, the weekend. You know, it's not very often when I get a chance to talk about my personal experience in sports journalism. And a lot of what the show is predicated on is my knowledge inside being a a press person, being a member of the media, my years of being a live radio host, my years of um, being a sports writer, and, you know, providing some of the insight that, that goes into the life of a journalist. And a lot of that, you know, feeds a lot of my opinions on this show it 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 affects my process and how i i look logically at certain topics or certain events and um it, it there really hasn't been that much of a chance to talk about that before today uh but uh, coach jschewski uh head basketball coach of duke um had a little bit of a i don't i don't necessarily know how to phrase this but him and a, he he called out and kind of roasted a student reporter for a question, um, and he you know it, it ended up getting some viral uh, uh, attention on social media. Uh, Coach K ended up calling the reporter and apologizing to him, and um, I just found this so interesting, and I kind of wanted to talk about what press conferences are like, especially um, for a student reporter how they how they were beforehand and how they're different now and kind of give a little insight onto onto what happened because every once in a while, you know, a, a big coach or a big player, you know, you know has a little bit of a temper tantrum when a reporter asks a question that they don't really like. Uh and 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 the response isn't always next question, sometimes you get some responses. And I thought that that coachesheski's response by in comparison to a lot of others, was very tame. A very, very tame response. I think uh, you know the response wasn't necessarily harsh. Was it a little unnecessary? Yes. But again, I've seen a lot of other players and a lot of other coaches say a lot worse to reporters, um, n- never mind students. Uh, and I actually had the benefit, believe it or not, uh, of being able to be in a press conference with Coach Krzyzewski. It was the season in which Zion Williamson – Williamson, uh, uh, what's his uh, – Reddick? No, not Reddick. Um, Reddish, Cam Reddish, and um, uh, R.J. Barrett, those three were at Duke. And uh, I was at Florida State at the time. And I was able to cover that game, and Cam Reddish hit a buzzer-beater three-point shot to win the game for Duke. Uh, and I was able to sit in uh, and ask questions with Coach K in that press conference, and that that experience in uh, in of itself was insanely cool. Like I don't fanboy over many people, but to see Coach Rusevsky sit there in the in in the, um, the 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 Donald L Tucker Center, the media center, or the media conference room. And you know he had his he had his hands folded like this, and all you could see were his rings. He looked like the Godfather, um, and that was actually the moment that I realized that I wanted to do uh, sports media for a living. Was that press conference? It was absolutely uh, very cool. But I say that to say this: that the cadence that Shostakovich had in that press conference was not any different from the cadence that Shostakovich had in this press conference that that went viral. And his response. Although it was kind of deemed as a bit of a roast, as a bit of a comeback at the student reporter uh, going after him. I think that's a little snowflakey. I didn't really see or hear anything that would suggest that you know he was really trying to go after the student reporter. I think he was really just trying his best to um, equate the situation and uh, try to, I don't know, necessarily... Set the tone for the press conference because a lot of this, a lot of the relationship between reporters and the coach, there's a big feeling out process. Uh, depending on what happened during the game, and and, and I want to point this out, depending on what happened during the game, definitely fuels the way that you phrase your questioning when you're in these press conferences, and uh, especially over Zoom, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of get a general feel for how the coach or the player may be feeling during that specific point in time. The guy's question wasn't all that bad. Uh, I don't know if it was specifically the first question that was asked because that might make a difference in and of itself. If it was the first question asked in the entire press conference, I can guarantee you that is what uh, prompted the response from Shusevsky was because it was the first question. It wasn't a bad question, but it was a question that probably would have been saved for later in the press conferences If I were that reporter or, you know, in my experience with working with other reporters, those type of questions typically get pushed back, um, towards the end of the conference. You know, once, once the two parties have settled in, once, you know, the coaches have made an opening statement, once the coaches have addressed a couple of questions, you can get an idea about what the coach wants to talk about and what they don't want to talk about, um, and you know sometimes it's hard sometimes you have a really burning question that would be a good question that you know probably won't be best received by the coach or by the player and you have to ask it anyway it's all about finding the right opportunity to to ask the question that will give you the best chance of getting a great response if the coach just talked about how his team shot horrible from three point range maybe throw a more positive question at the coach next to kind of bounce between negative and positive to get a good balance. Because I can tell you one thing, people just don't want to be negative all the time. People want to take away the positives, Uh, especially with a team like uh, Duke in which they, I believe are five and five on the season. And they have dropped out of the top 25 for the first time in whoever knows how long are, and are in danger of missing the NCAA tournament for the first time in like 16 years. So with that all in context, um, I think that the the reaction to what Coach Krzyzewski said to the reporter was very much so overblown. I have definitely heard press members ask worse questions at worse times to other players and coaches. And obviously, you know, everybody handles everything differently. But I think that um, although Coach Krzyzewski's response probably could have been phrased a better way, he didn't necessarily have to go into the whole schooling analogy um, he could have just answered it with, you know, we're, we're just moving forward. We're going to sit down and look at tape, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, I think it was just an error by Krzyzewski, and every coach says something that they shouldn't at some point of time. But the reaction by by everybody saying, oh, Coach K shouldn't have said that to a student reporter, I'm um, I, I think I think everybody's being a little bit too sensitive about the topic and I definitely think that the student reporter took a took this a little bit and ran with it um, I've definitely gotten some some coarse responses when I ask questions and I know that others have as well um, especially if, if if it's a new face in the press conference uh, by, by after a while you know especially when you've been in an institution for so many years you know coaches and players will start recognizing, Uh, people in the press conference and when a new face appears I don't know how long this this new student reporter has been covering Duke basketball but if he's a newer face and the coach doesn't know him he's more likely to get a a a not so good response, a response like the one that he got, as opposed to if a trusted media member asked Shishevsky that question, he probably would have responded to it in a different way. Um, coaches can tell when you're green. And I think that probably was a lot of the process was that coach Shishevsky recognized that this, that this reporter was very green and he, and, and he didn't seem very often. So maybe he was trying to appeal or, or not, not, maybe not appeal, but he was trying to adjust his answer for the reporter and uh, he made some errors in judgment in how he presented that answer. Um, so I think the response and the viral outrage, maybe maybe outrage isn't even the right word either, but I think the response was a little bit overblown. Um, hopefully I've provided some insight into what those press conferences are like. Um, it, it's very much so a feeling out process with the coaches and the media. Um, sometimes, you know, you have a burning question that you're like, maybe I shouldn't ask this right away. Let's, let's ask a more positive question and establish some good standing with the coach before coming in with a more negative question. You know, uh, talk about, you know, how this one player played and how pleased you were about this one player. And then you go say, well, all right. So what do you guys think about the, t- what do you, what do you think about the team moving forward? Um, that's how I would have done it. You know, there, there are certain ways to ask a question and the timing to ask a question and the more experience you have in press conferences, the more you'll begin to understand how to basically legitimately read the room. Uh, a lot of being a reporter is reading the room, understanding what questions to ask at what times and understanding how to phrase that question so you don't get your your, your butt burned uh, by specific people. But yeah, I think a lot of this was overblown. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel... I don't feel like an apology was necessarily warranted, but good on Krzyzewski for issuing uh, an apology anyway. Um, A lot of this was overblown. But hey, hopefully that gives you some insight as to what being, you know, actually being in these press conferences is like. um, As opposed to just watching them, you know, afterwards. Uh, Because what doesn't get translated over audio and visual is the feeling of the room. uh, And bouncing off other reporters' questions and understanding what question to ask at the right time. So uh, that's the end of the show. Hopefully we didn't drop any frames today. It looks like everything worked out well. Um, hope so you guys will be listening to this and seeing this tomorrow at some point it looks like everything went relatively smoothly again shorter show today kind of just wanted to set up everything and get a show up as fast as possible so i hope that you enjoyed today's episode or i guess tomorrow's episode but it's going to be coming out today Uh, i will see you all tomorrow on wednesday for another show and that one will be great as well i'm sure Uh, definitely going to have some stuff to talk about as the week progresses, but thank you all for spending this time with me. Uh, thank you for watching on YouTube. We're almost at a 100 subscribers on YouTube and we got some really good hits on a couple of videos last week that I'm very happy about. So again, thank you all so much for the support. It really means a lot to me. Uh, my name is Nick Ryan. This has been the hard headed sports podcast This has been episode eight. I want all of you to stay hard headed, but have a nice day.